Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. Now, the Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down and learn and be inspired by the leaders of today so we can help create more leaders for tomorrow. I believe the world needs more leaders. 2020 has taught that so vividly to all of us. And so why can't you be the next one? That's my goal with this show. And I'm honored today to come to you here on episode 25. In some ways, like I knew we'd get here when I started this podcast. I told myself, no matter how it goes, if it's a smashing hit or a terrible flop, I'm going to do it for a year. I'm going to do 52 episodes. I'm just going to make that commitment to myself. I want to stick with something. I tend to be a person who gets shiny object syndrome and goes from one idea to the next. So I was going to just stick to this thing and do it for 52 episodes. So that's my promise to you right now. So maybe 25 isn't actually that big or that exciting, but there's part of me that still says, wow, 25, that, that's a lot. We've talked to and learned from some incredible people thus far, right? A governor, CEOs, a New York Times bestselling author, a former congresswoman who became a university president, nonprofit leaders, 19-year-old college students who are redefining the way learning is done, and more. It's been so exciting. So this week on episode 25, the week of Thanksgiving, I decided to do something a little bit different. So today I'm the guest. I guess I'm also the host. So today I wanted to start briefly on the topic of gratitude, because that's what we think about when it comes to Thanksgiving, right? And as hard as 2020 has been, as difficult, as challenging, as unprecedented, right, as everyone keeps saying, there is still things to be grateful for. And it might be hard to find. It might be the silver lining, but I know that it's true. And I say at the beginning of every episode, in 2020, more than ever, we know the world needs more leaders. But I'm also so grateful for all the incredible leaders we've seen in action this year. They've stepped up. They've raised their voices. They've created movements and change. It could be through a tweet, through a peaceful protest, through a way that they lead their company, or even just in their household with their family, their spouse, their children, whoever it may be, teachers, nurses, doctors, so many amazing leaders that we're so, so grateful for. So I wanted to start there during this season of gratitude. But today, what I want to talk about actually is an idea that I call the five senses of leadership. Now, this isn't my the five most important characteristics that every leader needs. I think as this show has seen, you can lead in lots of different ways. There isn't one perfect way or one type of mold or one sort of um, DNA of a leader. You can do it in so many different ways. And leaders look and act in so many different ways. But I wanted to step back and think, what would be the five senses of leadership, right? See, hear, smell, taste, touch. What are those things and how do they apply to leadership? When you think of a leader, how do they use their senses to be great? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Thank you again so much. If you listen to any of the 25 episodes, I'm so grateful for you. And if this is your first one, thanks for coming. I hope you enjoy it. You get to hear a little bit from me. So with that, let's get on to the show. So let's get right to it. The first sense we're going to talk about is seeing your vision, your eyes. 
when you think about leaders, this is the one we probably think about the most, right? These visionary leaders and Elon Musk, who has this future world that they see so vividly, they're going to change the world. A, a Steve Jobs, a Thomas Edison, right? A Benjamin Franklin. They can, they can see this as if it's a reality. And I admire these leaders because their, their conviction is, is so great. Their, their clarity is so specific, right? Uh, sometimes I don't even know, you know, when we think about the past, like what I ate for lunch today, but yet thinking about what 10 years, 50, 100 years in the, into the future looks like, that, this is really hard. And I think this idea of vision to me as a small business owner and leader is one of the hardest pieces. You have to do both, like, like, like I like to say, three feet and 30,000 feet. I think Gary Vaynerchuk calls it the clouds and the dirt, right? You need to be I'll be tackling an email that's a client didn't get the invoice, the right invoice, or it needs a PO number in the invoice, and then yet go to a meeting and talk about what's Lemonly going to look like five years from now. And that's a huge switch to flip, right? In just a, in a little bit of a, you know, a five-minute transition from an email to a meeting, for instance. And so thinking about vision, of course, we know that great leaders have vision, short-term and long-term. I think the way to think about it, though, is get to the kernel of the idea of your, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to mainly business examples in, in my case, since that's my experience, but it could be the same for, for uh, creating change through a nonprofit, through politics, you know, all sorts of forms, even how you want to run, or I shouldn't say run, but how you want to, you know, think about your family dynamics and, and the goals of raising children. Um, so let's go back to 2009 and it's spring and I'm in Brookings with my family where I grew up, my older brother and we're home on spring break. And I remember we decided to order pizza and Brookings is a college town. There's lots of uh, places to order pizza. Um, we usually had our favorite place, but we weren't too particular. Sometimes we bounced around and I remember 2009, we say, let's order pizza. And my mom said, okay, I'll call. And she went to grab the phone book, like literally like the yellow pages flipped through the pages phone book which was always right next to her phone in the kitchen. And Scott and I looked at each other and we're like, what is she, what is she doing? Right? Like Google that, you know, put it, put it on your phone. You can even save those phone, phone numbers into your, you know, mobile phone in 2009, which I know <laughs> that sounds so silly to say, but, and that was kind of a light bulb moment, which was small businesses, right? A small pizza shop in Brookings needs to make it easier for their customers to find them. And so our first business idea, the first business when I became an entrepreneur and started a company called Nine Clouds, it was based on this idea of use these new tools, kind of web 2.0, we used to call it, social media, blogs, websites, videos, tweets, so that your customers can find you. And we moved back to South Dakota and we started this business to help people. Now, I can go on for a whole hour podcast about all the mistakes we made and and bringing that vision to reality. But the key there is to go back to the kernel of the idea, which was people are looking for you online. Can they find you, right? And you're going to see here in a couple of episodes, actually, uh, we talked to Sarah Carnes, the CEO of Nine Clouds, the company that my brother and I started. That idea, Nine Clouds has completely changed and evolved. They're way better than the way we ran it. But the kernel of the idea, the thread is still the same. How do we help people find what they're looking for online? And so when I think of vision, what's the kernel of the idea? And it reminds me when we go back to episode 20, 
with Liz Georgie. She talked about how Suna, the vision for Suna, they had two kernels. It was this idea of Kinkos, that you could print things quick, fast, on demand, and this idea of Chipotle, fast, casual, right? It was fun. It was good. It was a great experience, but, but not too serious. And they took these two kernels uh, and combined them to create Suna. Listen to what she says here. Eventually, we started bringing in other people. We talked to some technologists. We talked to some engineers. And before we knew it, we had the basic prototype of Suna, which is camera to cloud, which sits underneath our production experience. And it makes it possible for our end customer to see every photo and video clip as it's created and to be able to make instant actions such as purchasing them so that we can put them into post-production workflows. So if you want to start a business or you have an idea for an organization, it can start as simple as this little kernel, right? You're inspired by something. You see a problem in the world. You have this little idea of what if we took a Kinko's and combined it with a Chipotle and applied it to photography, to content, right? Kind of crazy, but it works. And, and I think what's so interesting when you, when you do talk to entrepreneurs like we have on this show, the way it starts is certainly not the way it finishes. Take Lemonly, for example. Lemonly started with the idea of visual stories are the best way to explain information. The world is a confusing place. Let's make it easier to understand. And at that time, all we thought is, let's just do one thing and one thing really well. So let's do infographics. And we set out to become the world's best infographic company, period. That was it. It was simple. It was very niche. It was easy. And that actually made it very easy to explain to customers. Customers knew what we did. It became easier to acquire customers. And it was enough to be a business, but it, it needed to grow and it needed to change. And so I think also recognizing that that kernel of your vision will start to unfold, become more grand, often larger, but also often more specific. I mean, listen to how Liz now describes Suna today. Suna is a fast, casual content company that makes it possible for brands to get professional and affordable photo and video online through virtual photo shoot experiences and all for the less, less than the price of stock and always delivered in 24 hours. There you go. Sounds like you've done that a couple of times. I've done that so many times at this point that uh, it starts to feel like I'm saying my own name over and over and over again. <laughs> and I left that last part in there because in that episode with Liz, episode 20, we talk about how a CEO's job becomes cheerleading at every opportunity. You are selling the vision every single day to everybody, not just your customers to buy, but to your employees, to your community. I mean, often I feel like I'm even selling the vision to myself just to make sure I believe it that much. And so Liz is right. It becomes like saying your own name. You need to be clear, bold, and, and really believe it. And so I love that part about vision. The last piece I wanted to say around seeing is pushing yourself to truly believe that your vision as a leader can change the world. In your mind's eye, you see a world that looks different. Believe it to the point where you know it can be true because that's when people want to follow you as a leader. That's the thing that people get excited about. You can have the best technology. You can have the best business plan, business model, whatever organization you're, type, you're trying to lead, the framework, the, the nuts and bolts. But if you want people to follow you, you need to have that vision. And so we, we, we looked at how Suna started with an idea. We looked at where Suna is today. 
let's listen to how Liz describes it in the future and how, I mean, how can you not get excited when she sees this? She describes Suna as this, this almost this reality of what it's going to become. Take a look. What does Suna look like in five years? Tell me what it, paint your picture. Oh, John, I'm going to just tell you the truth. I really hope in five years, Suna is a billion dollar business that is solving the problem of the visual economy for brands everywhere. I truly believe that when we look at the internet, there are very few things that are more present and more constant than the visual ecosystem. And so somebody's going to own that. I hope it's going to be Suna. That's inspiring, right? I mean, you can hear the conviction in Liz's voice. And, you know, I'm not her uh, target customer in terms of being an investor, but I told her even on that podcast, you can go back and listen to it. I'm ready to write a check. Like, I want to invest in that idea. She, she sold me on that vision, and I believe that Suna will be a billion-dollar company. And worth listening to that episode because I hope that it, it comes true because she is a fantastic leader and I know will make uh, would you know would lead a billion dollar company to make a lot of good and and create change in the world. So that's the first sense we're going to talk about today is seeing. Now let's move on to hearing. All right, so hearing the what happens with those two ears that we have on the sides of our head. Now, if vision is maybe one of the senses that separates great leaders from good leaders, I would say that hearing separates a good leader from a bad leader, just like hard pause, period, end of sentence. If you can't listen, this is listening to your employees, listening to your constituents, listening to your family members, listening to your followers, whatever the context is, you won't be a great leader. Who are you leading if you're not listening to those who are following you, right? And so this is something we've heard over and over on the show is examples of, of how to lead. And conversely, I would say something we've seen over and over, leaders fail in 2020. Who are you leading? Are you even listening to what they're saying, to what they're feeling? Now, certainly in, in the realm of, of politics or government, you hear both sides, right? People have opinions that are going to conflict and disagree, and that's okay, but are you listening to them? It's when you start to block them out, to ignore them, pretend like they're not even saying anything, we then see leaders really falter or go MIA, in my opinion. Now, an example of this in sort of a small kind of microcosm way, something, a story I always tell at Lemonly. When we were a young company, um, you know, we were all just 20-somethings starting our career, just a few employees in a room. We didn't have much for budget. We didn't have much for you know, payment and benefits and policies. We were sort of just working hard, having fun and learning as we go. But I remember Amy and I, my co-founder, were thinking, okay, eventually here, we need to kind of up our game. We need to be more of a real job. I remember when we hired Ashton, our first employee, she said kind of reluctantly, like, hey, do you you guys have a maternity policy? And I said, well, let me get back to you tomorrow. And I literally went to Google and Googled maternity policy uh, to see what that looks like. How, what are they supposed to be? And I remember calling my dad, who's a, an orthodontist in Brookings, to ask what, what, what he does and try to learn as much as I can. But um, that's sort of how our business unfolded with those individual scenarios. But a great example of listening is talking to your people and learning what do they want Lemonly to look like? How can Lemonly best serve them, right? So a good example is we surveyed and asked our employees, you know, what What do you want? Rank these these benefits and the perks from, you know, most important to, you know, less important. I don't want to say least because they were all important. So things like salary, PTO, healthcare benefits, um, 
the ability to, you know, work remotely, which we did really early on from 2011. I mean, now we all do it today and don't even take it for granted. Um, but what are the things that move the needle most? And mind you, this was a, a group of, you know, 20 somethings. And so when those answers came back, we actually learned that, you know, healthcare was lower on the list. We were thinking we probably should add this. We better look into it, kind of nervous about the cost. What's that going to do to our budget? And our folks said, no, 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 that's not our most important thing right now. We we actually would just like to get paid more. And what happened is we d- dug into that survey and, and, and had some conversations, listened, had one-on-ones. A lot of our folks were still under 26, and they were on their parents' health care plans. And you can laugh at that now, I mean, but that was the reality at that time. And so they just, cash meant more to them. And that's just a simple little example. And so, you know, years went on and we've since added healthcare benefits and our plan gets better and we, we increase our contributions each year. But now we have a lemonly of 20-somethings, 30-somethings, even into 40s. We have lemonly, lemon heads with, with kids, multiple kids, spouses. You know, the, the needs have changed. We've grown up and, and the, kind of the point of life that they're in has evolved. And so really listening to where your people are at and if you go back all the way to episode one, and I'll say, uh, I think in these 25 episodes, I have definitely improved as a host and continue to do so. Um, but our episode one guest, Governor Dennis Dugard, was great from the start. He really talks about what it means to, to, to get down into the trenches, to sit and to listen to your people. Take a listen to this. Be a listener. You have to let them tell you and then reflect back to them what you've heard them say. Oh, John, so you just lost your house. Oh, my gosh. And you lived there for 30 years. Oh, my gosh. And it's where you grew up. And gosh, you reflect back and then demonstrate that you can feel their concern and their worry and their despair. So that's episode one, which was titled Leadership in Crisis. That was back in June. We were still in that madness phase of the pandemic when none of us had any idea what the heck was going on. And I asked a governor who who had, as he says in that episode, measles outbreak, you know, tornadoes. How do you lead in crisis? And he said, you got to get down there in the trenches. You got to listen and you got to be empathetic. Listen first, right? I think leaders, I'll be the first to say this myself. I don't love silence. I like to fill silence if I'm in a meeting and I always have ideas. I got things to share and to talk about. That is not what you should do. Close your mouth, open your ears, and listen. And I really appreciated when the governor spoke with that. He had one more great clip that I thought was important, you know, especially in today's world, as much as we can, whether it has to be a Zoom call or a FaceTime or or whatever it looks like. But how do we also listen physically, right? Like literally physically, not just listen um, and tell people and kind of act like we're listening. So listen to what he said about that. You have to be present. People who are worried about something, they want to see you. Yep. And they uh, and you can't be just present by telephone or by television. You got to be physically present. In good times and in bad times, you got to be present. You got to show your team that you're listening and be there for them. And I think that one key point that I've learned over the years that doesn't mean we have to always have consensus. That doesn't mean that you have to do exactly what they say they want. You know, leaders don't always have to operate, at least in the business sense, in a democracy. We're not voting on topics, but you better sure as hell listen, right? Gather their opinion, 
because your opinion alone is not good enough. You need to listen, gather opinion, reshape, edit, tweak. And then you still get to, as that leader in this context of business of Lemonly, get to make that decision, right? But make sure you listen first. Now let's move on to our third sense, touch. This is one that I think anecdotally, when I think about the five senses, one I probably maybe think about the least, especially in this digital world, right, that we live in. I'm always working in front of a screen. Sure, I touch a phone or I touch an iPad, but it's always just this fiberglass, right, that you're touching. There isn't a lot of tactile feeling to the difference of, of being outside and, you know, getting your hands in dirty and touching a leaf or, uh, you know, a tr- the tree bark, like that type of thing. But in in this sense, uh, the way I think about touch as a leader at Lemonly is digging into the business and, and, and being able to understand and touch every piece of it. I remember one of the best pieces of advice I had early on when I became an entrepreneur is you should be able to do every part of your business. Maybe not well, but at least know and understand every part. This is probably a big distinguisher from a small business, a startup versus, you know, a corporate uh, organization or a larger enterprise. In that secondary second example, you're 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 coming in with a very specific set of skills to do a very specific job. They almost don't want you to worry or know about the other aspects. You just do your role. And that makes a lot of sense from an efficiency standpoint, from a top talent standpoint. But when you first start out, you kind of do need to understand it all. Now, I always joke, I own a graphic design company and I don't know how to use Photoshop. Now, that's a true statement, but I can say that thankfully because of my co-founder, Amy, who's an incredible creative and incredible designer. So in our context together as the two leaders, we were able to cover all the bases. But I remember in the early days, I balanced the books. Uh, you know, we had someone do our taxes, our awesome accountant, Julie, but I did the month, you know, we were trying to save money. So I, I did the books. I sent the invoices. I sold the project. Then I managed the project. And then eventually we learned that like, hey, John, attention to details is not John's strength. We're start, things are starting to break. Amy can design all these. John can sell them, but we need someone to manage them. And that's when we decided to hire, right? We actually hired Ashton, I mentioned earlier, our first employee, to do both. We said, hey, you're probably going to do 50% project management and 50% design. She was coming from a larger company in a marketing role, just kind of a Swiss army knife. And she was like, great, that sounds cool. I like diversity. I think she did that project management part for about two weeks. And then we got so busy again designing. Um, and so she was creating, creating. And now, you know, she's been doing that for eight years. So eventually that broke. And we needed to hire another person to be a project manager. And so the point, though, is to be able to dig in and understand how the business works, even if you can't do it all or you're not the right person to do it, right? I think a good leader knows their strengths and weaknesses, knows how to find people around them to fix and, and, and enhance those things, but still could at least teach or describe the task or the challenge, right? Um, Hopefully, you have some systems and processes to document and to train the new oncoming uh, employee, but to be able to understand where it came from. And this wouldn't be just in the in the context of business, right? So again, politics, um, nonprofit, even in, in your family, being a leader in those contexts to understand. We don't really like leaders who just speak as if they know something, but they've never done it before, right? They speak as if they understand something, but they've never been there before, right? Like Governor Dugard said, go see it, go be there in person, touch it, then you can speak to it. For this sense is episode 10 with Dr. David O'Hara. 
Now, I don't think a podcast host should, should choose a favorite podcast episode because that's like picking your favorite kid. But if you want to go listen to the most unique episode, listen to, to David O'Hara's. It's, it's incredible. He's probably the smartest person I know. So listen to how he talks about touch. I think that everybody who gets an education, whether it's a formal education or an informal education, should learn how to do something with their hands. Let me just say that right at the outset. I like it. You know, uh, or, or learn, maybe not just with your hands, but learn how to do something with your body, with the gifts that you have, with who you are. Oh, I love that line so much, so much. And as a person who works in the digital world, and admittedly, some of the things, you know, work and hobby and fun often blur the lines for me. I, I like to, you know, write online. I like to create videos, I like to create content. I play fantasy baseball. Like some of the hobbies I have also happen behind a screen. And I think about that quote from David, like, how do you learn to do things with your hands, with your body, get your hands dirty, touch the world around you, and just get out there and experience it, right? I love that so much. And so in the context of this sense of touch for a leader, we need to be there physically to understand it, to, to look at it, to play around with it, and, and make sure that we know what we're dealing with as we start to add the layers of complexity, whether it be constituents, employees, family members, followers, whoever you're leading, you know, know your space, your topic inside and out. And specifically around the idea of information digesting by, by looking in the past to move forward, David nails that with this quote right here. A lot of it is just understanding where we came from. A lot of it is also People before us have faced a lot of the same problems that we face. Mm -hmm. If we can watch them solve those problems again, we can avoid having to face those problems or we can build on those solutions and stand on the shoulders of giants. So learning an ancestral language, learning poetry, learning history and mythology, some of these things that seem very useless, they're actually like one of the best methods of compressing data. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn to unpack words, unpack poetry, scripture, uh, mythology, art, you'll find that there's just layer upon layer of meaning and value in there. It's a palimpsest of who we are. The best method of compressing data. I love that line right there. And when I think about my, my experience as a leader, I don't understand all of the ways that we create visual content today at Lemon Lee and animated video or the complexities of, say, after effects or illustrator but i definitely understand the nuts and bolts of 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 what we're trying to accomplish the elements of a good story what what good design is and bad design and right so we talked about surrounding yourself with people that round you out as a leader but you got to get in there and, and all these senses collide right we talked about about listening i don't have all those answers so i got to ask questions i got to talk to my team and what i love so much that episode with david o'hara is about on studying the past to unlock the future. We actually even, I asked him about this idea of unprecedented because we, we hear it all the time in 2020. Is anything truly unprecedented? And he said, he thinks it's fair to be unprecedented to us today in this moment because we ourselves have never seen or lived it, but history repeats itself. And we learn so much from the past, from these ancient languages, from poetry, from, you know, David is a, a Renaissance man in my eyes. And I love that line about standing on the shoulders of giants. When we think about leaders, when we think about leadership, you know, if you were to ask my five-year-old daughter, 
who are the leaders. I don't think she's learned the presidents yet, but that's sort of the first people we learn about, right? The presidents. And while they are giants and we do stand on much of what they've, you know, founded this country on, society and times evolve and grow too, right? There's new new forms of leadership. And that's just a core tenet of the show is that leaders don't have to be the presidents and the CEOs. They come in all shapes and sizes and they exist in all different roles across organizations and ages and and, and experience. And so we do look to stand on the shoulders of giants while also recognizing that there are giants amongst us today that we maybe aren't don't see. So that's a core part of what I believe here at Lead More. And, and thanks to David for really articulating that much better than I can. So that's the importance of the touch sense. Now let's move on to the next one. All right, so next up, we're going to talk about smell. And I realize you might be sitting here thinking, okay, so what does smell have to do with leadership? Stay with me here as we talk about the five senses of leadership. I think I can connect this analogy for you. When I think about smell, I always remember, it must have been like in high school, the first time when like Axe body spray commercials came out. And I remember they had some line that's like, smell is the sense closest tied to memory. And I remember kind of, you know, those commercials were goofy and they were silly and I was a teenage boy. And I don't think my mom ever actually let me buy some, but I probably wanted it at some point. But I remember thinking, it's true. Like when you smell, you know, grandma's apple pie, or you can smell conversely like grandma's bedroom, which has a weird, or the carpet in my grandma's house in Tyndall, South Dakota, I can, I can smell it and transfer, like take me right back to that place. Smell it, you know, in your olfactory glands really connects to your memory. And so smell really makes you think about memory. But I also think about the, the, the line of, does it pass the smell test? right? This idea, trusting your gut is something you hear a lot in leadership. And I think that's uh, generally good advice, right? Like it's our job as leaders to take in all the information, to go and, and touch it, like we talked about earlier, to really understand it, to have a vision for what the world looks like, but to also to understand how to connect those and that tough choices have to happen. You have to ask yourself, does it pass the smell test? One easy example of this at Lemonly is hiring, right? We have a hiring formula at Lemonly. So, skills. Can you do the job that we posted? Are you a good team member, someone that we want to be around and hang out with and work with? And what's your superpower? A question we ask on this episode to every guest. We add those up and then divide them by our core values, adventure, collaboration, and integrity. And although you can't put you know, integrity on a scale and measure it, you can ask about stories and examples. And those are important things. And really, when we're talking about that at the end of the day, do you pass that smell test? And generally, I'd say at Lemonly, we've used that and done really well in hiring 95% of the time. But I could think of an example where that smell test didn't quite seem right, but you know, we really needed the role and, and, and we made a decision that you know, we maybe went against our gut and it turned out not to be the right one and, and we should have listened to it. So I think about some of those moments as a leader. Jeff Bezos has a line that's disagree and commit. Right, we're going to get together in this room and we're going to tackle tough decisions. But at the end of the day, we're even if we disagree, we're all going to commit together and move forward. Another one that you'll hear is, you know, make the hard decision. And I think one thing that leaders often get paralyzed by is making no decision. Right, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision, the worst place to be is making no decision. And I've had to teach that to myself as I can sometimes overanalyze and ask for more opinions and continue to think and continue to dwell that the best decision is a decision and reminding yourself that you can change your mind, right? Make the decision, go forward. And if it proves to be incorrect, 
you can fix it. I think back to episode three with Ben Milne, the CEO of Douala. They had to make a decision to basically completely change their business. They're venture-backed. They had over 100 employees, maybe 200, and they made a huge decision. And I asked him, like, how do you know? How do you know when it's time to make that decision? Here's his answer. There's a point where I think as a founder, you know. And once you hit that point, you have to do something about it. But getting to that point is not instantaneous. Yeah. There's there's a lot of work. That's passing the smell test. That's trusting your gut. They just knew. He knew as a leader it was time to make that decision. He, they disagreed and commit. Whether or not everybody felt the same, they knew to do this. We have to move forward together. And in that episode later on, I asked him to like just unpack that. Unpack your thinking as a leader. How do you make such a transformational change? Because that's something I know that I grapple with. And I think Ben's explanation is spot on. Take a listen. To our credit, we did what we said we would do. We shut down the bank product and process. We made a decision to eventually shut down the consumer product and go full bore every arrow we had behind the direct-to-business product. And that required us to restructure the company, restructure the board, restructure management, restructure everything. And we just did it. We just did it. Everybody on board, everybody moving forward, everybody rowing in the same direction, making tough decisions. Does it pass the smell test? Use that nose. Think about memory. Trust your gut. And as a leader, make hard decisions, but also know you can change your mind. Give yourself that leeway. Give yourself a little bit of grace. But when you make those decisions, make them boldly and move forward. All right, let's move forward with the fifth and final sense Taste. All right, taste. Taste is one of my favorite senses. I love food. I love to eat food. I generally like to make it, but it's just one of my favorite things to do. And speaking of boldly, like we were earlier, when you think of bold flavors, think of unique, rare meals that you've ever had. One of my favorite questions is asking people, what's your favorite meal you've ever had? And you watch their face light up because it was more than just the food. The the food was great, but they talk about where they were, who they were with, when it was. They remember so much detail. And I think it's that taste, and I'll extend that beyond even just taste of of the mouth, right? The taste of, of the music and the atmosphere and the people and the conversation. I love taste. So what does this have to do with leadership? Well, I think a lot about being bold and being rare at Lemonly. So let's bring it to us. One thing we tried to do from the very beginning, once we realized, we didn't know this at first, but once we realized, man, we have some amazing clients, some of the best brands in the world, right? Marriott, Major League Baseball, Netflix, Disney, people from all these places who have never heard of South Dakota or even maybe even know where it is on a map. And instead of recognizing that as a weakness and thinking, hey, they're not going to want to work with some little old agency in South Dakota, we tried to flip that and actually recognize that as a strength. And an opportunity. So we leaned into it. When you worked with Lemonly, we sent you lemon bars in the mail to sign up. These amazing little lemon bar cookies. People love them. We still have clients years later talk about how great those cookies were. That's sort of our South Dakota roots. We think it's our unique advantage. You know, you don't come to a friend's house or come over for a dinner party without bringing a dish. Also, when you finish your project with Lemonly, well, you get a handwritten thank you note from us, from the person, the team members who actually made the project. 
Hey, thanks, client. We loved working with you. Thanks for working with Lemonly. This is a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do it again. Right? That personal touch, the kind of unique identifier to show that we truly care. And not that you have to be from South Dakota to do that, but it's who we are. So let's use that as an advantage. And that's what I think about when I think of bold and taste, the meals that you never forget, the flavors that never leave your mind. We want to be like that. I want to lead a team and have an organization that never leaves your mind, right? When you have a problem X, you know exactly who to call Y. And so I think to the episode we did with my friend Brett Hagler, the CEO and co-founder of New Story, he hits this better than anyone. And honestly, it really kind of rattled me when we did this episode. I was like, am I thinking bold enough? Am I thinking big enough? Listen to what he has to say. Being bold is rare and uh, bold ideas attract bold people. And we figured that out early was we yeah. just went way bolder with, with um, our goals and our ambitions and that attracted people that were like that. So be bold and rare. I love that from Brett. It's how you stand out, right? People remember that. And I would say the world disproportionately rewards people who are bold. So as a leader, as Brett said, this means bold ideas attract bold people, bold ideas attract bold companies, and and this extends beyond business to your organization, to building a team, to the friends, the people, your social group, right? To be a leader, hang out with other interesting people that do interesting things, and you'll want to do similar stuff as well, right? They'll push you to be better, And and so you can lead and they can lead you. Brett doubles down on this even further, and I wanted to include what he says here. Do things that are scarce and are rare, right? Everybody can set like, you know, seemingly reachable goals and like normal goals. But when you start to be bolder, you just, you attract a totally different kind of person, right? Because you're setting yourself apart from what everybody else is either going to ask for. It's just, it's just different. And like, not that many people do it. And mm-hmm. so you don't need to have some fancy resume or an MBA from Harvard or Stanford, like just be bold. And that is going to be a differentiator for you because not that many people are bold. You set yourself apart from other people. It can be what a differentiator for you, as Brett said. Now, obviously, I realize that's, that's the definition of rare. That's the definition of bold. But even as he said, not many people do it. And the part that I love is it doesn't cost you anything, Right. You can't use the excuse of like, well, I wasn't born, you know, in the right city or I wasn't born with the right connections or, you know, the money or the timing. Like you can be bold against all odds. Right. And so it's just a matter of choosing it, going for it, believing in it, and it doesn't have to cost you anything. And so to connecting those dots from the taste of the best unique meal you've ever had to the taste of the best car you've ever driven or the best music you've ever listened to or the best customer experience you've ever had or the best hotel you've ever stayed at, right? It works. There's a through line to being bold and rare. We remember those things. We cherish those things. And as a leader, think about how you can create that magic, that bold flavor in your operations, lifestyle, organization, family, company, whatever applies to you. All right, so those are the five senses of leadership. Seeing, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. And I wanted to 
do something unique and special for you guys on this episode this week, episode 25, and also bring back some of my favorite quotes, some of my favorite episodes from the past. I hope you enjoyed this little journey today. Got a little bit more of an insight or a look into how I think about leadership. And if you like this, we'll make sure to do this again. So thank you everyone again for listening to the Lead More podcast, for being a supporter and a fan. I'm John T. Meyer, the host of the Lead More podcast, reminding you we have new episodes of the Lead More podcast every Thursday. You can listen to them at leadmorepodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts where you can subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is. Give us a five-star review, leave a comment, and I'm so grateful for you for listening. Take care.